how, how many is, uh, I got a safe in your house? S-A-F-E, a safe, okay? Um, some of you know what a safe is. Probably all you know what a safe is. It's to keep your valuables, right, in there, or things important that are important to you, paperwork, stuff of that nature. Uh, it could be a gun. You want to keep it locked away. So it's a safe. It's something that's valuable to you, something that's important to you. And how many realize you have to have the right combination uh, sequential combination in order to get to those valuables. So I say amen. So I want to talk about getting the right combination. We're finishing our sermon series entitled The Seed Effect. I don't care how much you think you can make a Big Mac, okay? And we all, we've all tried to make the Big Mac sandwich, right? Everybody's at least had it probably one time in their life, a Big Mac. Unless you've got two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun, you ain't got a Big Mac. Come on, so say amen to that. How many remember they had that promo back in the 70s? You had to say it real fast. All of us kids were lined up. Me next. Me next. Okay. We had to say it real fast before you get a free Big Mac. All right. So you had to have the right combination in order for that to take place. Same thing with my, like on this Christmas, um, my kids know it's a tradition in our household. It was a tradition in my household too growing up that we're going to have a big Italian meal. So we have spaghetti, masacchioli, you know, the stuff, right? All the stuff. And so I make it. That's kind of one of my things I love to do. So I'll make it. And, um, and so I got to go to the store and I got to get all the right ingredients. Got to have the proper combination. I got to have my tomatoes. I have to have, and I got, I, look y'all, I like to have, I, I'm kind of an Italian snob, so I got to have imported tomatoes. Come on somebody. American tomatoes probably do just fine, but I got to have the imported tomatoes. And then I got to have my, I got to have my onion. Come on somebody. Got to have my garlic. You can't talk to nobody for one whole week because your breath offends. Come on, somebody. But you got to have your garlic. You have to have your onion. You got to have your fresh basil. You got to have your fresh oregano. I'm giving my, my recipe away. You got to have your salt. You got to have your pepper. Come on. There's a couple special things in there. And for those of you who are not teetotalers and, and you don't like this, you got to have wine. Now, I know you don't like the wine. We don't drink it at the dinner table, but I put a little bit in my sauce. Come on, somebody. Ooh, it's good. Munja, munja. So, so, and now you have the right combination, and it makes it just right. Same thing in your life. When you have the right combination, things work right, things come in order, they begin to process per per perfectly in your life, and you get the value out of what you're looking for. I want us to look here at Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 24. It says, another parable he put forth to them, saying, Jesus talking here, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. He sowed good seed, church. He sowed good seed. But while men slept, but when men slept, while men, come on, slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares, which really is weeds, is what the, that word tares means, weeds, also appeared. Now, Jesus said the kingdom looks like this. So it's a kingdom principle and a kingdom example. We're here on planet earth to build God's kingdom as, as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a part of our, it's a part of our course, it's a part of our destiny that God's designed for all of us. And all of us have a different crop maybe that we have to, we have to plant, but we're all supposed to be doing this in our perspective fields. And that man went out and he went out to sow good seed. 
He did not go out to sow bad seed or seed that would harm his children or his family. He didn't go out to uh, plant seed that were filled with weeds and, and, and tares. No. He wanted a good harvest. He wanted wheat as his harvest. So he sowed good seed. That's what every believer wants. We want a good life. We want our field to be filled with good things. We want our children to have good things. Amen. So we plant good seed. But now then, Jesus is making us very aware and very keen to the fact that we don't get a free lunch. In other words, as hard as I'm working to get a good crop out of the good seed that I'm planting, there is a bad devil who is my enemy that's trying to oppose me and stop me from getting the harvest that I'm supposed to have. So number one, I've got to recognize after I sow good seed, I've got an enemy that's trying to make sure that that harvest does not come up. And what he does is he comes at a time that we think not. The devil doesn't just come when everything's going good. The devil doesn't come when you're on fire. The devil, he knows better than that. The when you're praying in tongues. He don't come when you're worshiping and praising. We'll get to that in just a little bit. He comes when men sleep. Not talking about your natural eight hours of sleep or whatever you get for sleep. I'm talking about when we're asleep at the spiritual wheel of our authority. And we're no longer doing what we're called to do. We're not faithful in the place we're supposed to be. Come on, talk to me, somebody. We're, we're, no, longer, we're no longer being obedient to what God's asked us. We become complacent church once in a while, read my Bible once in a while, give my tithe once in a while. Now, Tom, that this is not a once in a while gospel. That stuff will get you killed. I, I'm prophesying to somebody. You don't play games in the kingdom of God. This thing's for keeps. This thing's for real. It's for eternity. So, so what are we saying? We're saying, i got to recognize that when I sow my good seed, there is an enemy that wants to come by. And he only can't, he will not come when I'm standing guard. He'll wait till I'm watching television. He'll wait till I'm at the movies. He'll wait till I forget about praying for the weekend. Because he knows one weekend will turn to two real quick. He understands how we think. Come on. He waits till I fall asleep. And when I fall asleep, he comes by. And he plants the wrong seed. In my good crop with my good seed. And now the tares are mingled with the wheat, man. And, 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 and I, don't, I, I can't, I can't distinguish, distinguish them yet. Because when they begin to come up out of the ground and sprout and grow, they look identical. So I know I've got a problem. But I don't know how to fix the problem. And verse 27 says, So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir... Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have them weeds? There's always somebody wanting to look at your life. Isn't it easy to look from a distance and, and see all the wrong somebody's doing? Always somebody want to judge you for where you're at. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I thought you sowed good seed. What if you're so good, if you're so special, what happened to your harvest? Can I tell somebody today that I've got another theory about it? That if you've got some weeds in your garden, it's not because you did something wrong. It's because you threatened your enemy. And he knows there's a good crop about to come out of your life. So he took an opportune time to sow discord, to sow dishonor, to sow distrust. Come on! That's what the enemy does. He's always about it. He waits until he has that moment in time. And then he comes by. He starts sowing those seeds. He will not come to you face to face. He can't do 
that. He knows you've got power. He knows you have authority. But then you've got some bozo who calls himself a Christian wanting to judge you and where you're at. That same person ought to look at the life of Paul who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. He, what the Bible said, for three days and three nights, I've been in the deep, almost drowned to death. He said, three times I've had 39 stripes laid upon my back. I've been in chains. They killed me one time and threw me out for dead, but I'm still standing here and I'm writing your, your book called the B-I-B-L-E, which is inspired of God. God can use your disappointment. Come on. And they would have judged Paul. That's why he told Timothy, do not be ashamed of my chains. Because everybody was running away from him, thinking of God before him. Why is he always in jail? Why has he always got turmoil? Why? Because he had a special anointing on his life. But out of that suffering, God was going to bless hundreds of thousands and millions of people. Verse 28 and 29, he said to them, an enemy has done this. He had to set the record straight. I know you're looking at me cross-eyed. I know you're, thinking that you're looking at me like I did something wrong. It wasn't me, man. I sowed good seed. I did fall asleep. Maybe I shouldn't have fell asleep. Maybe I should have been a little more vigilant. But I didn't do this on purpose. The enemy came by and sold this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the weeds, the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Why? Because below the surface, they're entangled. The root systems are entangled. You pull one up, it pulls them all up. He said, he said, let them both grow together into the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. This morning for just a few minutes, I'm going to take you a little bit on a journey. I, I want to talk about the nature of... Of sin. Now hang with me because it's important for us to understand it, especially if we're ending today's series, The Seed Effect. It's interesting that when it comes to sin in the church, we as Christians are really good at judging the sin correctly in somebody else's life. Can I preach this the way I, I need to preach it today? But we're really bad. We're terrible at discerning why the person's actually sinning in the first place. We don't want to know the why. We just want to point out the what. Come on, somebody. And that's backwards to how God deals with people. So we see people that are hurting. Maybe there's people in this church, and I know there are. Being a pastor, I know. People that love God with all their hearts, but they're, they're hooked to drugs. And, and, and probably prescription drugs or maybe some other vice, alcohol, some other thing. But they love God with all of their heart. Do we start calling them an alcoholic? Do we start calling them a drug addict? we got to be real careful that we don't put the improper label on a vessel that God's still working with and God's still dealing with. Because I know people... I know people that are hooked on drugs that I'd rather hang out with because their attitude's right and they ain't judging nobody than some pious, know-it-all Christian. Come on, y'all. Don't want to talk to me today. They know their problem. 
some of them, I, they, they never have, I've never drank alcohol. I've never smoked. Good for you. That's good. Praise God. That's really nice. Good for you. But you lie all the time. You sow discord. You talk about your pastor behind his back every chance you get. Why are you so good? Can we just go ahead and tell the truth and shame the devil? Hallelujah. And I tell you, my wife and I, we came to the city, and God gave us Isaiah 61. And he said Isaiah 61 will become your mission for that church, your vision, and your purpose. And Isaiah 61, we came, the very first message I preached on Layton Avenue at the Howard Johnson, now the airport in. And the first message I preached was Isaiah 61. Did you have any notes? That was, that was my notes. I prophesied. I spoke what I, what I saw, what I believed was going to take place in this city. And God said that this is what he's gave me. And by the way, it's the Old Testament, but God then says, he gives it to Jesus to speak in the New Testament, and Jesus pronounces it. Isaiah 61. He said, this is who I am, and this is what I've come to do. And now if we're the body of Christ, we're his church, then we should say, this is who he is, and this is what he's come to do. For the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You see, we got to understand that there are people that are impoverished not only in their natural needs, but also in their spiritual needs. Come on, somebody. To heal the brokenhearted. And we're, the Bible says we're here to, to, to open the prison doors of those who are bound. To open the eyes of those who are blind. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. For they shall be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. He said, son, when they walk through the back door of your church, you don't label them. You don't call them what everybody else has called them, a misfit of society. You don't call them a reject. You don't call them a drug addict, prostitute. You don't call them a fornicator. You call them the way that I see them as a tree of righteousness. We got to learn to call those things that be not as though they were. When God sees you, he sees you, not your sin. Well, Pastor, what about the sin? Yes, God deals with sin. Church, come on now. Don't do me like that. You know what the Word of God says. He does deal with our sin. Absolutely. And he can't deal with sin that's not repented. So if you're in sin, you've got to repent. And that's how you get the blood of Jesus to cover you. No doubt about that. But I'm trying to teach you something else. I'm trying to teach you how God sees you. He doesn't look at the what. He looks at the why. He wants, he, he wants to heal you. So he's got to deal with why you're a sinner. Why you do these things that you do. And he sees something deeper in you. I just want a church that doesn't have their finger pointed at people all the time. And we have that church here. We're going to keep that church. One of the things, one of the things, highest compliments I've ever gotten in this church is, Pastor, we love you because you keep it real. I said, I don't know, how else do you do it? I don't even know how else do you do it. Well, you tell on yourself, and your wife, she'll get up there and she'll tell on herself. And that helps because it's not, you're showing your weakness, you're showing how to overcome things. And I said, my God, I want somebody to tell me the truth. So I'm sure enough going to tell you the same thing, praise God. I don't trust somebody who says to me that they've never had a problem. I already know you're a liar. I'm getting way, way, way too hard now. I'm in tough, it's getting too tough. 
By the way, I told the first service this too. It just came to me, and I just want to say to second service, you know, for those that are visiting here today, actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pussycat. Behind, I'm, you, you see me, I'm really nice, I'm sweet. I get up here, and I feel like I'm 10 foot tall. I take in the meanest, baddest person in the room. I feel tough. I feel bad. But when I walk away from here, it's the anointing leaves. Come on, somebody. I got to walk like the rest of y'all walking. I don't want no problems, you know. Um, and, the, and the reason why I say this is because sometimes I get a little rough in the pulpit. And I get a little rough in the pulpit. And I'll tell you why I get a little rough in the pulpit. I would rather challenge you here in a safe environment than the devil take advantage of you. You talk about rough. He'll kick your brains out. I love you. God loves you. We, we want the best for you, right? So I might get a little rough telling you, hey, don't run out in the street because you'll get killed. You scream at your children, hey, stop, right? You're not trying to be nice about it. You deal with it, right? So, so if you hear me get a little like that, stop because it's not love. To me, that's showing you love. I care. Now, we've got to be like God when it comes to sin. He not only deals with the sin, but he deals with the reason that people commit sin in the very first place. We've got to not only discern the what, We've got to discern the why. And by the way, the why someone sins is what we will call, have the word calls, iniquity. So you have probably seen this in the scriptures. This is what I'm, I'm talking about getting the right combination in your life. Because you get a lot of things in order, but if you don't deal with this area of iniquity, it, it keeps getting you and it keeps eating at you and it gets worse and worse and worse. Um, iniquity deals with the forces that drive someone to sin. So it's not sin, it's what's behind that sin or the temptation of that sin. It deals with passions and desires that seem like they're out of control and they can't be restrained. I mean, there's some things in your life right now you've been begging God to get rid of. And it's like it just won't go away. It may not be the regular old sin that we commit on a daily basis that we need Jesus' forgiveness for or his blood to cleanse. It could be something much more rooted than that. And I want to bring you into that place to, to actually begin to think possibly that this might be what I'm going through. Because if you don't deal with iniquity, the, the pull to sin, or the push, I should say, to sin, then condemnation will be the result of it. So what happens is because it's a cycle that you continue to repeat, what happens is the devil will come along and condemn you. It's like putting you in a jail cell, locking the key and throwing it away and say, this is what you deserve because of, what, of your actions. And condemnation is a result of guilt and shame. So when we get shameful of something, we throw ourselves, ourselves in the jail cell of condemnation. When we are guilty of something, the same is true. We throw ourselves in that condemnation because they feel that that's who they are. In other words, they align themselves with their iniquity. You must not do that. You are not the sin you commit. You are not the root of your past. I'm sorry. No, I shouldn't say I'm sorry. I want you to know that there's, you're more than that. And I want this church to be a church where people can come and feel safe. That they aren't going to be judged. For what? For struggling with their sin. I'm well aware as the pastor of this congregation that there are people in this church that are not perfect. I'm going to take an educated guess. And I'll say about probably 100% of the people... Ooh, I felt that by the Holy Ghost. I, that was discerning the spirits. 
are not perfect. Probably. And that means that you're probably struggling with some area of your life or the other. There's a struggle that's going on. And people do struggle in the area of sin as well. And they're believers and they're going to heaven. Struggling means, to me, that you haven't given up yet. When you're struggling, it means you refuse to give in to what you're struggling with. You're still fighting with the issue, which tells me your heart is still in the right place. It tells me that God still is with you. Whew. This is a free message, y'all. It is the truth. It's, that's why it's called the gospel, the good news. It's so true. And so what happens is when you begin to praise, church, you got to get me on this one. When you begin to praise God, even in the midst of your struggle, praise does what? It begins to break the shackle of your past and your sin and your iniquity. Come on, somebody. That's why I'm so grateful to have some anointed worship leaders in the house that lead us every Thursday, every Sunday. Oh, but if they're not around and it happens to be a Monday afternoon, come on, somebody. I know how to get before my God and give God a shout. I don't praise him because of my struggle. I praise him in and through my struggle, knowing that my God will deliver me. Last week I was, had some things happen, and um, I wasn't happy about it. And I was in a, just kind of one of those, you know, moods. Y'all been in a mood before? Woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Don't even know why you're aggravated. Just aggravated. And I knew I had to get my attitude right. And I was, I, but I just was, I was upset about some stuff. And I said, I got to go down to church to pray. That's when I started talking. And I, I can't wait to get to church. I go, I got to go down to church and pray. We got to say, I got to. You know your attitude's already wrong. I got to go down to church and pray. See you, baby. Go down to church and pray. And so I, I, in my mind, I'm going, when I get there, I'm going to let it all out. I'm going to let God know some stuff. As if he don't know, but I'm going to let him know. And I'm going to let him know what's going on in my world. And I, you know, and I didn't say the word complain, but that's exactly what I was planning on doing. In my mind, I was just going to show him what's in my heart. I want to reveal to you what's in my heart, Lord. i got to get out of my heart. But truthfully, what I was trying to say, I want to complain. I want to let you know how unfair it is right now. Come on! So I couldn't wait to get to church so I could get that out, praise God. I come in the church. I come in, flip the lights on. I come in the back of the church, and instantly I feel the presence of the Lord. Oh, his presence is so wonderful. And I felt his presence. And when I felt his presence, I knew. I knew I had an attitude. I knew what I was about to do was wrong. And I said, Lord, I started crying. I came in here. You know how you do. I came in here to complain. I came in here to tell you your business and how you should do life for me, God. And I'm like, but I want to let you know I love you and I'm so thankful. And I started going through everything. I'm thankful for my life. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my grand. I'm thankful for my beautiful church. I'm thankful, Lord God, for the call of my life. I'm thankful. And I begin to shout. I begin to praise. I can't took off running one time. Come on, somebody. And I was excited. I noticed all of a sudden courage. 
and strength came upon me. Why? Because I went from a place of being discontented, come on somebody, to a place of joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think we ought to give the Lord a big shout. Right now. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Iniquity also means, it means to be bent or twisted. In other words, it's something you try to pound out, but it's always got that little, little notch there. So I always want to spring back into the place that it was. It's like a, a proclivity towards something. You just keep going back to it over and over and over again. And that's why the Bible or Jesus said, you must be born again. If you're not saved, there is no hope. If you're not saved, you need to get saved today. What do you mean by that? You need to be born again. Why? We're not talking about entering your mother's womb for a second time. Jesus talked about that with Nicodemus. No, he's talking about a spiritual birth. A rebirthing, if you will. Why? Because you were born wrong the first time. You were born into sin. And so we have to be cleaned up of that. So when you're born again, it's like you get a fresh start, a brand new start. And by the way, it's so easy. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. I've been a sinner. I've been rotten. I I haven't done life right. And you did everything perfect. And I ask you to forgive me and come into my life and, and, and be the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I'll follow you. And that's as simple as it is. You give your life to Jesus. He comes into you, cleanses you from all unrighteousness, and gives you a new start. So the first way you've got to look at this thing, if you've been born again, you don't have to be held to the root system of past. Because the iniquity, the Bible says, can, can visit up to the fourth generation. That means what your great, great, great grandpappy or grandmammy did. If they didn't deal with it then, you might have to be dealing with it now. And if you don't deal with it, your great, great grandchildren, come on, will have to deal with it in their lives. Am I talking to at least two people here today? And I don't care what, how old your kids are, you're still, there's, if there's breath in your lungs, there's still authority God's given you to change this thing and break that cycle. And if you're born again, you're already on your way because the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're not subject to your past any longer. And and, and there are examples of this throughout the word of God. And using the life of David, we see this with David and and how he suffered rejection. And how that rejection haunted him. Because remember when Samuel came to, to anoint a king out of the house of Jesse, Jesse with his daddy, and, and he brought, Jesse brought all the boys in, all the sons in, but one. Why? We don't know why. We can, we can surmise, but we don't really know. But we know he was left keeping a few sheep for his father while Samuel looked over the boys to see who would be king. And, of course, we know that none of them were chosen. He said, you have another son? He said, well, yeah, I got David, but surely not David. I mean, can you imagine the rejection that David must have felt? We don't know that this is more than one time. We don't know this is how, we don't know. But we can see the pattern of the rejection in his life and how he didn't deal with it and how that he did sin. And we find out that he has a son named Absalom. 
And Absalom, you know, we look at him as, a, as, the, as the bad character because he didn't do right. He was the one that was the son that, that felt that he had the need to tell everybody, hey, the king won't hear you. The king, he's busy. You know, he's doing his thing. And, you know, after all, he, he doesn't care like I care. And the Bible says he would kiss the babies. He was politicking. And he would kiss them and say, but I will hear you out. I will hear your matter. And the Bible says he stole the hearts of Israel away from David. That was David's son. Do you know why? Because Absalom, Absalom felt rejected his whole life. Absalom felt like he was that Solomon was more loved than him, and that he was the only one that really mattered. And so Absalom felt like he wasn't a part of the a part of this of the family, and he felt rejected. And Absalom ended up dead. Why? Because we're not willing to take care of the things that we're dealing with in our own lives. Our children will have to now take up from there. David also was another one. He could have any woman he wanted. He was the king. He had a couple wives. He was a man of war. He was incredible. Strategist, psalmist, prophetic, amazing man of God. And yet he just couldn't help himself. He had a problem with lust. And he looked over his wall when he should have been out to war with his other comrades and, his, and all of his subjects. And he, he should have been there. He was always out to war. It was time for the kings to go out to war. And he looks instead, he sits home and looks over his wall and sees Bathsheba taking a bath. And he knows who she is because her husband is a captain in his military force. And so now here we have uh, the instance he looks over and sees her and he says he wanted her and sent word to have her come. And he brought her into his chambers, had sex with her, and she became pregnant. He knew he had sinned against God. And the baby died. He begged for mercy, no mercy shown. Baby died, and then Solomon came as the second child. And out of that, Solomon was raised up to become the next king. Now watch this. What was the biggest issue that Solomon had in his lifetime? He had a lust issue. He didn't have two wives, ten wives, thirty wives. He had a thousand wives. What are you going to do with a thousand women? <laughs> Guys, it sounds fun. It ain't fun. Because they will only want you to be with them on top of all of that, praise God. Let me tell you something. He sinned, and the Bible said he wrote the most incredible book called the book of Proverbs. He was the wisest man ever to walk the earth. He wrote Proverbs. Then he writes his next book, and it's called The Book of Lamentation, of Pain and Sorrow. And he was this close from totally turning his back on God because when he married those women, he married outside of Israel, and they brought in their strange gods, and he began to worship their gods, all because Solomon wouldn't take care of an issue that he had. But I tell you what. I told the first services, that's why I believe that David was such a mighty praiser. Because when it comes to iniquity, nobody but God can help you. No self-help book. No teaching tapes. You need the hand of God to cut, put his hand to the root of the problem. This man, David, wrote over 100 songs in the book of Psalms. He wrote a hundred songs, and if you read them all, and I, I suggest you start reading them every day, you can read a chapter a day, and you read it, and you'll see that as he began to write those songs, it's all about him. 
him trying to overcome a particular situation in his life and saying, God, where are you to help me? Aren't you God? How do my enemies prosper and you don't prosper me? God, I'm running for my life here. Oh, what did I do so wrong? And he's, 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 he's contemplating all these things. But at the end of the songs, he'll always say, but I shall yet praise you. I won't tell you how to live your life. I don't tell you how to judge me. You're God. I will give you the praise. Because iniquity, church, if you allow it, can push the praise right out of you. I've noticed that the people that have the greatest problems, that are hurting the most, they end up having the loudest praise. When you got someone screaming in your service, come on, they've been through something in their life. Either they're shouting the loudest or they're going to find a way. But nothing's going to stand in their way. They're going to get their miracle today. Come on, somebody. Come on. Remember blind Bartimaeus? They called his first name blind, second name Bartimaeus. Come on, somebody. They labeled him blind. Everybody knew him as the blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus walking through town. Bar blind Bartimaeus don't go, Jesus. Lord, Lord, oh, I missed him again. What does he do? Jesus! Jesus of Nazareth! He screams. He shouts. He makes a big noise. So everybody's got to turn and go, what is wrong with this dude? That's why some of you come to church and leave the same way. Because you're not willing to live your praise and say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Jesus! Do we got some praises in the house? Jesus! Acting all sweet and cool and keeping your heels on and your makeup right and grabbing the chair in front of you and expecting God to do something for you. You got to get God's attention. Every time I read about faith, faith shows action. And he got the Lord's attention and stops. They said, don't do anything. He said, this blind friend of me. Come on. He's always making noise. Yeah, but I want to talk to him. I heard a cry. He goes and says, what do you want me to do? My sight, Lord, be it unto you according to your faith. How do we know you got faith? You got to shout. Or you make a way. Maybe you're too weak to shout, but you're going to do something. Something's going to happen. Just like that woman with the issue of blood. She was weak and anemic and bleeding internally. And she was hemorrhaging. And she's about ready to die. But she said, I'm not going to die. Jesus is walking by. And I'm going to get my way to him. And they, she, nobody could get to him. The Bible said the press was so hard around that nobody could get to him. But that woman said, I've got to get to him. i got to get to him. And she made her way to Jesus and fell down and touched the hem of his garment. And he looked and said, who touched me? Jesus, everybody's been touching you. Don't you see the crown? Yes, but somebody touched me like I've never been touched before for your power, virtue, anointing has gone out of my body.
Hallelujah. Amen. How about the band that was paralytic and he was on his bed, couldn't do it for himself. He couldn't walk for himself, but he could organize a few friends. I don't know what you guys got going on today, but I heard there's Jesus in town, and I got to get my miracle. And I know y'all do got things going on. Everybody got picnics to go to, and, and you got to get to work, and I know that you got to get your house fixed up and all that. But I need a miracle. Would you help me? That's faith. Yes, sir. They tied him up to his bed, put him on their shoulders. They couldn't get to Jesus. He was inside somebody's house, and there's a massive crowd outside the house. And you know what they did? They got themselves on top of that roof. And they tore that roof up. Talk about raise the roof. Come on, somebody. They tore the roof off that place and let that man down in the middle of a meeting. Could you imagine us having a meeting right now in this place? And all of a sudden, and they're ripping a hole in my new roof. That cost us some money, did it not? $125,000. I wouldn't want them putting a hole in my roof. That was somebody's roof. He didn't care. I'll pick up the expenses. I'll do whatever I do. But today, I will not be denied. I'm going to get a miracle. I'm going to get my breakthrough. That's why you don't let the enemy come into your field and sow the wrong seed. Another powerful exercise and we're done. But I'm going to pray for you before we leave. The way that you deal with iniquity is by exercising your authority in prayer. you got to get real with God, get before God, and begin to pray with authority, guys. Do you know who you are? Because if you don't, the devil will always use you as a welcome mat. He'll wipe his feet right off on you. But you see, that's not who you are. The Bible says that he's under your feet. Jesus said in Mark 3.27, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he is bind, first binds the strong man and then plunders his house. So what does he do? The devil comes by. He knows what the goods are in your life. He knows what the goods are in your field. He knows the goods are in your home with your children. And what he's got to do, he can't just come in. He's got to bind you first. And the way he binds you is through iniquity. Keep you repeating the same pattern until you fall asleep. And then he comes in. Luke eleven twenty one. 21, this is victory. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. So an iniquity is sin. Iniquity is sin that has been handed down through your lineage that has never been dealt with properly. And we see that throughout the scriptures, but I can't get to everything today. But one thing I want to say before we pray is you cannot and you're, when you're in a time of trouble, that is not the time to feel sorry for yourself. I'm going to tell you right now, when, I get, when, I, when I'm going through something, I do not want people pat me on the back and say, you know, everything's going to be okay, Pastor. Just hang in there, buddy. Hang in there, buddy. I don't want to hang in there, buddy. I want somebody, Pastor, I've got your back. And I'm going to go before God, and we're going to get our answers. We're not going out like this. This ain't happening like this. God gave us a promise. We are praying. See, to me, that's the kind of people we need around our lives. And the thing will happen is you'll get a victim mentality. And that's what Israel had. And that's the reason why they couldn't go in. The first generation couldn't go into the promised land. Because they always saw themselves as victims. God victimized them. The enemy victimized them. Strangers victimized them. They victimized themselves. 
A victim is somebody who's always thinking that something bad is going to happen to them, and they almost, they, not almost, they set themselves up for it. Victim comes in the church and says, well, you know, church, I don't really know anybody there. You know, church is kind of it's bigger, and so I don't want to, you know, I don't know anybody. They didn't smile at me. You know what you're doing? You're, you're already a victim. Before you come in the door, you're already a victim. People are friendly, but you got to give them an opportunity. So what happens? If you want somebody to smile at you, you got to sow a seed. When you sow a smile, you'll get a smile back. You put your hand out, someone put their hand out back. Instead of waiting for it to come to you, you go to it because they're probably thinking the same way you're thinking. Am I right about this? So be very, very careful. We're going to break the power of iniquity. I want you to stay right where you're at. I want the, the musicians and singers to come, and we are going to go before God. I can't get everybody at this altar, and I have a feeling it would be too packed if I called for this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer right where you're at, right in your seat. How many believes that God can touch you right where you're at? A miracle can come to you. I believe that with all my heart. He told me to do this today, and I'm going to do it. I actually second-guessed him. I said, Lord, that's, that's kind of heavy to do in one service. You know, it's almost like I want to build up a whole, like, series on this and then maybe systematically begin to pray. He said, no, today is that day. I'm going to do it. And so if God says he's going to do it, that's it. First service was amazing. Same thing. Power of God came. It's going to come right now upon you. So I want you to just take a moment. Bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray and we're going to believe God. Something good is about to happen in your life. God is here in this place. He loves you. And he sees you. He doesn't see the sin. He sees you. With your head bowed and your eye closed, let me just say something to you. I'll prove to you he doesn't see your sin. Because Jesus became sin for those who knew sin, though he knew not sin. To become the propitiation or the forgiveness of our sin. He became the sacrifice. Just like the, just like the priest in the Old Testament would put his hands upon the lamb. He would transfer the sin of the nation upon the lamb. God never again looked at those people for one year. For one year, he never looked at them with the sin. He looked at the sacrifice. The eyes were on the sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. And his eyes is upon, the, his, his eyes is upon him. And now we have the forgiveness and mercy of God. But if there is something before, between you and him, something that's in the way that you need to ask God right now in this moment. Forgive me, Lord. Matter of fact, let me lead you there. And if you're away from God, I want you to say this prayer too because you need Jesus in your life right now. You need forgiveness. If you don't know the Lord, today is your day. Everybody pray this prayer. Jesus, today I offer myself and I thank you that all my sin is forgiven. I have sinned. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I admit it. But today I ask, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me as white as snow. I believe, Jesus, you are my sacrifice, and that's good enough. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to buy it. I just simply receive it by faith. I'm cleansed right now. Lord, I ask that you would now come and lay your axe, your word, to the root of my iniquity. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke it and I command it to loose me and my family. What wasn't taken care of, 
I take authority of. I take authority over it. In the name of Jesus, I command you, loose me. Let me go. I command freedom. Satan, take your hands off of my life. You will no longer manipulate me or control me. I relinquish your authority. Whatever's bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. I bind you for attacking my life. And I loose you from your assignment in my life. Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. You are Lord. And your blood stands against this now. In Jesus' name, I am free. Whom the Son sets free is 